You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded at Good Samaritan's 10th Anniversary Homecoming Celebration on September 8th, 2019. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. Now great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned to them and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with ten thousand to meet the one who comes against him with twenty thousand? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you, who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome everyone once again. It's so good to see familiar faces as well as faces that haven't been here in a little while. It's wonderful to to come back together and to enjoy this moment together. Why are we here today? Well, we're here because this is the 10th anniversary of our first worship service in this building. It was in September about 10 years ago. Um, and we, the building was finally built, the paint was finally on the walls, uh, all the things that needed to be done had been done, and we were finally able to come into this building and worship God together. I wasn't there. I say we as in the, the general sense of this congregation, but Father Hall was there, and many of you were there. And that was a wonderful day. So we're celebrating the memory of that day 10 years ago. We're also celebrating the ministry that's happened between then And now, just like when a a couple gets married and they celebrate their anniversary each year, they're not celebrating so much the memory of their wedding day, they're celebrating all of the beauty of all of those years that they've been married together. And so we're celebrating that today, too. We're celebrating the beauty of all that we've done together over 10 years, and we're celebrating what God has done through us in ministry over 10 years. But the real reason we're here today is that this congregation took a stand for the Word of God 10 years ago. And that stand had some significant costs associated with it. And which reminds us of the gospel lesson that we read today. I didn't choose this one. This one came from the lectionary. I chose some of the passages today. But this one came right from the lectionary for today. And in this passage, Jesus is talking to his disciples about the cost of discipleship because it does cost something to be a follower of Jesus. It's not something uh, that's always easy. Sometimes it comes with difficult decisions that have to be made and prices that have to be paid. And so Jesus gives the example 
of someone who's preparing to build a building. And he says, first of all, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Again, there's a cost associated with being a disciple of Jesus. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. There's a cost associated with a building project. There's a cost associated with taking on all of that is required to put a structure up, whether it's a tower or a church. Now, the reality for this church is that this church is more than 10 years old. This church has its foundation way back in the early 1980s. And by the time 10 years ago had happened, we had a mortgage-free building on a prime piece of real estate right on Blanding Boulevard. We had a healthy, thriving congregation in that building. But our denomination was more and more abandoning the authority of the scriptures. And we knew we had to do something about it. We knew we couldn't remain in that situation any longer. And this congregation knew that that was a problem thanks in large part to the teaching Father Hall had given you for so many years. He had formed you well. You knew the difference between righteousness and wickedness, between truth and falsehood, between what the scripture says and what the culture says. And so you counted the cost and you decided that was worth it. And I commend you for it. Every one of you who was here at that time and who was a part of making that decision, I commend you for it. Because the cost involved leaving the security of our old property and building and starting over at 3813 Old Jennings Road here in Middleburg. It involved raising money for the land and this building, which would be built on this land. And that costs a lot. In fact, it costs so much that we're still paying for it today, as your vestry well knows and as many of you still know. But the cost was worth it to be able to freely and faithfully proclaim the word of God. That was worth that cost. There was a price to be paid and we were willing to pay it. That's why we're here today and not on Blanding Boulevard. Two important symbolic actions were taken when the foundation of this building was poured. Uh, and I have two pictures to go along with this. So uh, can we have the first picture, please? Is it going to come up? Maybe not. If it doesn't, I'll just tell you about it. So, uh, it's, not, it's not just me. <laughs> <laughs> it never works. <laughs> well, in any case, uh, we have a, a nice picture, which you, you might see. You'll see it in the slideshow when you go over to the parish hall and, and have your lunch. So watch closely on the slideshow. But it shows uh, all the stuff that's ready for the foundation. It shows all the forms uh, nicely squared and, and laid out. It shows a grid of rebar. And then if you look really carefully and really closely, underneath that grid of rebar, there's a tiny white dot. And that tiny white dot is a little Gideon's New Testament with Psalms that was found on the mantelpiece in the building that's now our office building. And it was decided that that little Bible should be in the very foundation of this church, poured right into the concrete. And the second symbolic action that was taken, let's see if number two will come up. No, number two is not coming up either. 
Uh, the second symbolic action was that we decided, I don't know who decided, one of you decided, probably Father Hall decided to write two verses in the wet concrete. And those two verses were, first of all, Deuteronomy 32, verse 47, which we read this morning. This is the cho- passage of scripture I chose today, not from the lectionary. Deuteronomy chapter 2, 20, 37, which says, uh, 47, 32, 47, which says, For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to to possess. This comes at the end of a long sermon by Moses. Really, the whole book of Deuteronomy is, is a long farewell sermon by Moses to the people of God, encouraging them to stay true to the word of God as they go into the land that they're about to possess. And so he tells them that this word, this word of God, the law, is no empty word for you. It's not meaningless. But it is your very life, and by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over to the Jordan, over the Jordan to possess. The second verse that was written right in the foundation was from the book of Hebrews, and we read this one this morning as well. It says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from the sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. What do those two verses have in common? They remind us of the importance of staying true to the word of God. That was the problem that we were leaving, and we wanted to make sure that the foundation of this church would be a different foundation firmly planted on the word of God, so that, as Psalm 1 says, we might be like that stream planted by streams of water that bears fruit in due season. We want our roots buried in the word of God so that we can draw our strength and energy out of it and put our strength not on man, but in God. The word of God is literally the foundation of this church. Now, I hope our journey together as a church has inspired you to take up your own cross and follow Jesus. Going back to the gospel lesson. Jesus said, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And that verse is not chiefly about congregations leaving buildings and building new ones, although it certainly applies to us in that sense. But it has more to do with individual believers with the cost each one of us pay when we choose to follow Jesus, because our life is no longer our own. In fact, it never was. We have the illusion of our life being our own. Our life is in the hands of the enemy until we give our life over to Jesus, and then we have our hands in Jesus. We're always slaves, either to wickedness or to righteousness. But there's a cost to be paid. We're no longer slaves to wickedness, we are now slaves to righteousness in Jesus when we decide to follow him. And so that requires us to follow in his footsteps. And the footsteps of Jesus went down a road to suffering, taking up his cross, being killed on that cross, and then rising to new life again. There's a cost we pay when we follow Jesus. And there is a cost even today to following Jesus, to being his disciples. We can't accept all religions as the same as much as our culture would like us to do so. 
We can't accept a relative understanding of truth. Your truth is your truth, and that's fine for you, but I have my truth. Truth is truth. It's either true or it's not true. It can't be both. Following Jesus also means that we need to make different moral choices from the mainstream of our society. And these choices will sometimes make us stand out. And Jesus tells us, even 2,000 years ago, that the world will hate us for it. But this cost isn't intended to be dreary and burdensome. The letter from James says this right at the very beginning. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When we face trials, when we struggle because of our discipleship, we should count it all joy. It's not intended to be a burden, but it can, in fact, help us to grow, to dig our roots of, deep, of faith even deeper into the word of God, to press into God even more, to abide in Jesus even more, and to find our strength in him. I feel a little like Joshua today. And the reason I feel a little like Joshua as we think about Moses and this passage from Deuteronomy is that Moses was responsible for receiving the law, for telling it to the people and having it written down. But there came a point in Moses' ministry when it was time for him to pass on the torch of leadership to Joshua, the next one down. And so Moses led the people right up to the edge of the promised land, and then Joshua led them into it. Paul led you off of Blanding Boulevard. He led you in the word of God for more than 20 years. He faithfully brought you to this place and ministered here. And when it was time for him to step down and retire, God called me here to take the next leg of leadership with you. But the message has not changed. Paul would have told you and will tell you later today that this church stands on the word of God and that's the same message that I'm preaching today. We find our grounding in the scriptures, not in the thoughts of man, not in the emotions that lead us this way and that way, but in the very word of God, which has truth with a capital T in it. When we follow the word of God, we find the way of righteousness, which is a way of peace. And when we don't stand on the word of God, we find the opposite, the way of wickedness, which leads to disaster and destruction. I already told you what Moses said to the people in his parting words, but here's what Joshua said to the people in his parting words. This comes at, towards the end of the book of Joshua in another similar sermon to the people of God as they're all assembled. Joshua is telling them that they have to choose this day who they will serve, whether they will follow the gods of the land that they've gone in to possess, the, the gods of Canaan, or whether they will stand on the foundation that Moses built and that he has continued to build upon. And this is the challenge to him, the challenge that he issues to the people. He says, choose this day whom you will serve. Chapter 24, verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's what this congregation will continue to do. We will continue to serve the Lord. 
The challenge today is to make sure that we don't lose our saltiness. I like salt. One of the the best revelations, I think, of of recent days is this idea of salted caramel, right? Because caramel was good on its own, but how much better is caramel when you add just a little bit of salt in it? Or take the chocolate chip cookie. The absolute best chocolate chip cookie I have ever had was made by a a woman at Trinity School for Ministry. She was the the spouse of a seminarian, and she had this, this cookie recipe, which was made exquisite, by the sprinkling of a little bit of rock salt right on the top. So you had both that that saltiness and that sweetness at the same time. We need to stay salty as a church. And what Jesus said at the end of this gospel passage today is that salt is good. Salt, not too much. Your doctor will tell you not too much salt. But salt is good, mostly because it tastes really good and it brings out the flavor of, of whatever food you sprinkle it on right? But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Why is Jesus talking about salt? Why is he comparing us to a salt shaker? It's because we need to have our saltiness in the culture. Salt has a preserving effect on the culture. It also has a flavor-enhancing effect on the culture. And we're supposed to do both of those things as Christians, as the church in this world. We're supposed to preserve the culture and keep it from going down a road that it shouldn't go down. And we're also supposed to improve the culture, making it taste better, helping it to flourish in good ways. The challenge is that we make sure we don't lose that saltiness that we don't lose that interaction and impact on the culture. And so we need to be winsome communicators of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Winsome means attractive or appealing in a fresh, innocent way. You might also call it compelling. We are not a fortress designed to keep people out, wagging our fingers at sinners to make them feel guilty and ashamed. That's not who we are, and that's not who Jesus calls us to be. We're a place of refuge to provide shelter from the storms of this world. And as people take shelter in this refuge, we welcome them. We introduce them to God. We build them up. We help them to heal, and we send them out to draw others into the shelter of the Lord's wings. And this is very much what our new vision statement says. Look on the cover of your bulletin for just a moment. Our new vision statement says, loving our neighbors and helping them to find God, love God, and share God. Say it with me. Loving our neighbors and helping them to find God, love God, and share God. That's what we're here for. We welcome our neighbors, just like the Samaritan man did to the the man who was left on the side of the road. We welcome them in. We share what we have with them. We heal their wounds but then we take it beyond that into what Jesus called, or what we call Jesus' words of the Great Commission, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We love them where they are, but we don't leave them there. We bring them along and help them to find God, help them to fall in love with God, and then help them to carry that forward and share God with others who don't know him. And so we need an all-in commitment from every member of this church. 
This church is not just another activity club that we belong to. What Jesus says at the beginning of the gospel today is some really hard words when you think about them. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Those are strong words. Not words we normally associate with the church. We don't think about the church as a a hate organization. And truly, the church is not a hate organization. There are plenty of hate organizations in this world today. We don't need another one, and the church is not one of them. What does Jesus mean when he says, you can't be my disciple if you don't hate your mother? Who's supposed to hate their mother? That doesn't sound like Jesus' words. Who's supposed to hate their father or their children? What Jesus is saying is not that we should actively hate people. What he's saying is that we have to put the kingdom of God first in our lives. It has to be number one priority. And the other things fall into their places after that. But if they prevent us from serving the kingdom of God, then we have to count them as hated. Count them as set aside. Not that we write off our parents or our children if they don't follow Jesus. We still continue to welcome them in. But we don't let their reaction to the gospel prohibit us from following Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have to put Jesus first. Jesus said in both the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Which is a remarkable thing, considering that Jesus is Lord of the universe. And he humbled himself, took on human flesh, and came into his own creation, again, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If anyone deserved to be served, it was Jesus, the king of the universe. But he chose instead to offer himself for us. And as his followers, just like we take up our cross and follow him, we also follow his example of service. Being here in this church, not to be served, but to serve and to give our lives as a ransom for many. We can't do that in the same way that Jesus did. Jesus is the only way, one who could pay the penalty for all the sin of humanity. But the sacrifices that we make, the ways that we serve, can in fact draw people into the love of Jesus and into his kingdom. There are churches that die every year, and one of the main reasons that they die is they start to look more inward than outward. And their reason for existing becomes an enjoyable, comfortable Christian life with their friends, and they begin to lose focus on mission, lose focus on what Jesus called us to do, which is to reach out and draw people into his kingdom. We do need to be edified and built up when we come to church, but we are edified and built up so that we can be sent. And that's the way we end every worship service here at Good Samaritan and in every Anglican congregation around the world. We end with ascending. And that sending says, let us go forth in the name of Christ. And the people respond, thanks be to God, alleluia. That's right. We are going forth from this world, not to lunch, not to our afternoon nap, although we can do those things. There's nothing wrong with an afternoon nap. I like, I love an afternoon nap on Sunday. But we go forth into the world as lunch eaters and as nap takers and as people who go to work on Monday, as ambassadors for Christ's kingdom in this world. 
And so everything we do, we do to the glory of God, whatever it is, whether we're eating or drinking, whether we're working at an office or whether we're working in a field, whether we are gathering with friends or whether we're ministering to the sick and the homeless, whatever we do, we do it to the glory of God as ambassadors for his kingdom because we as Christians take Jesus with us everywhere we go. And so we go forth as ambassadors each Sunday into this troubled world, seeking to cause flourishing, to be salt and light to a world that's dark and tasteless, and to draw people into God's kingdom. If you are a former member of this church and you found your way into a new church, God bless you. I'm so thankful that you are continuing to be a disciple of Jesus and to serve his kingdom. We're glad that you found a place to grow and serve. And we're so glad that you came here to celebrate this moment with us. And so what I would ask of you is please pray for us. Pray that we would be salt and light in this community right here in Middleburg. And that we'd be able to reach out to people around here who don't know Jesus. If you're a current member, let's renew our commitment to what God has called us to. Each of us asking what God wants us to do in the coming days to serve him and his kingdom. And if you're a former member of this church and you're not currently worshiping anywhere, I pray, Lord, that he would draw you back into the fellowship of this church and that you would find your place to serve, that you would find your place to plant your tree roots deep down in the soil of God's word and of his church and that in being a part of this fellowship, you would be able to grow and flourish. There is much work to do. The fields are white with the harvest. Therefore, as Jesus said, let us go forth into the world and make disciples of all nations. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us written instructions for our life, that you've given us inspiration, encouragement, challenge, rebuke, teaching, all in this book that we call the Bible. We thank you for the many people that you used to put these words onto paper. And we thank you that each one of us has the ability to hold this book in our hands today and read what you have for us. We pray that you would keep this church true to your word. We pray that you would keep each person here in your word on a daily basis. And we pray, Lord, that you would send us forth each and every day into the world as ambassadors for your kingdom. And that you would use each one of us mightily to draw people into your kingdom and out of this troublesome world. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and for his sacrifice for us on the cross. Help us to take up our own crosses and follow him each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.